You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. We just have to claim it and kind of take our own space in the field. I've been in the space since 2017. I can tell you there are so many great clubs and spaces for women now versus when I first started. It's also a space for women to learn. So I think it's definitely going in the right path. And, you know, I just want to see more of it. The more women that are in the space and the more marginalized voices in the space, the more we can make the space look like something we want it to look like. To the self-made and the self-sufficient, our partner, Edelman Financial Engines, can tailor investment solutions for the wealth that you're building. As a Her Money listener, you'll get a complimentary financial plan when you call 833-304-PLAN or visit planefe.com slash hermoney. Hey everybody, I'm Jean Chatsky. Thanks so much for joining me today on Her Money. We heard from so many of you after our Crypto 101 episode, which was episode 303 to be precise, where we explained all things digital currency and blockchain. You just had so many questions and truthfully, there was a lot that we could not get to in that 45 minutes that we spent together. That's why we decided to do another show to fill in those gaps and answer some of your important crypto questions. Just in the last few weeks, there has been so much up and down in the sector, and that's putting it mildly. Bitcoin, for example, had a six-month high of nearly $60,000, and at the time of our taping today, it's $29,000. Other cryptocurrencies have also encountered some serious losses in just the last few weeks. Ether fell as much as 11%, while Solana dropped 14%, Avalanche dipped 18%, and then there's Luna, which is the coin everyone's been talking about this week, which went from a high of 119 in April to being worth nothing. Yep, zero today. So I get it. This is a scary time for crypto investors. Our regular listeners know that my general advice has been to invest only what you can afford to lose. But I own it myself. I truly believe in the future of blockchain and Web3. But today in 2022, after seeing such volatility, I think it is completely understandable to ask once again if this is something we should be investing in. Does what we've seen lately change our opinions that it's an asset class that's here to stay? And Is there a way to know if you're buying the next Bitcoin at a low and you stand to earn millions or you've just put your money into the next Luna? So today we're not only going to tackle your most pressing crypto questions, we're also going to talk about the future of this asset class and the technology behind it and where we go from here. Before I introduce the amazing woman who's going to walk us through it all, let me just say that if you are a crypto novice, our Crypto 101 episode should be required listening before you dive in with us today. Today, I am here with Shireen Carmel Bucknam. She is co-founder of the Crypto Witch Club, an inclusive, equitable space for everyone to learn about everything blockchain tech, Web3, and crypto, 
of course. She launched the Crypto Witch Club in September of 2021 as a platform for educating women and everyone about this space. And she's got a background in marketing. She's joining me today from her home in New York City. Shireen, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. So I want to start by getting your thoughts on this enormous, even devastating loss for investors who weren't diversified, the losses that the crypto market has seen in just the past few weeks. What's going on? So crypto is highly volatile. If you invest in it, you should always be thinking long term. And what we're seeing is we saw going up and up and up in 2020, 2021. And at the end of the day, in the crypto market, what goes up quickly often comes down quickly as well. That being said, if you look at the long-term rates, a lot of these coins that are down from their previous highs long-term are still very much in the green. If we look at one year, two year, three years. So when we look at the future of crypto, I mean, just to sort of back it up, who do you think should be investing at this point? Who is this for? I think if you believe in digital ownership and the creator's economy and the democratization of finance, this is something for you. I also feel like crypto is something everybody should be educated about, even if they decide it's not the right investment choice for them. Because with cryptocurrency, you know, it's highly volatile. You should only invest what you can afford to lose. And, you know, I think it really does make part of a well-rounded portfolio. But if you're somebody who needs to you know, withdraw their investments sooner than later or isn't looking for that volatility, it might be best to not invest a lot. But you can also invest in stable coins, which have no volatility, and you can get a much higher APY on your savings accounts there. So you can't invest without the volatility. I don't know about that, right? I mean, the whole fiasco with Luna and Terra Luna, that was supposed to be a stable coin. True, yeah. But there's also... Funds, for example, in Gemini, you can stake the Gemini USD dollar or peg to the USD dollar for um, a receive 8% APY. That does have the same risks. Like you just said, it's a new technology. But also, if you're in a centralized exchange, you're insured, I believe, on Gemini up to 350000 So it does limit the risks on things like that. Tell me a little bit more about the Crypto Witch Club. Yeah, so I started investing in crypto in 2017. My business partner and I had a marketing and PR agency in the city. And we, you know, over the last five, six years, became really passionate in investing in cryptocurrency. So we noticed there wasn't really a positive, safe space online where people could ask questions and get kind of honest advice. So we created it. And how do you participate in it if you want to participate in it? You can ask questions to the community. We have a large mailing newsletter. So we do new articles every week, everything from crypto and sustainability to protocols and how to recognize project utility. So anything from newsletter to engaging with us on social, we do mini quizzes every week on our Instagram story channel. And we're always there for questions, Q&A sessions. Well, and it's good that you're always there for questions because we've got questions from our listeners about crypto. So I want to take them one by one, if you don't mind. Great. The first was that we heard a lot of environmental questions. Is there 
a way to invest in sustainable, ethical cryptocurrencies? Do these kinds of cryptocurrencies even exist? How do we go about finding them? We just recently tackled NFTs with Kelly Grayler, who's the CEO of Alice Riot, and she talked about the environmental impact of crypto. And I got to say, I was kind of horrified. I mean, it's estimated that Bitcoin alone is responsible for about 114 million tons of carbon dioxide each year. What are your thoughts here? Is there a way to care about your environmental footprint while still investing in crypto? Absolutely. And I think that's a great question. One thing to know when you're a new investor in cryptocurrency is every type of Crypto and blockchain is controlled by a different type of protocol. So Bitcoin, which is the first ever cryptocurrency, we like to call her the matriarch. She is a proof of work protocol. And that means that to create a new block, you have to run a lot of high power computers to solve complex math equations. And that's how these blocks and transactions are verified. Those nodes, those computers require a lot of energy to run, and that's where you're going to see this high energy consumption come from. That being said, there are a lot of cryptocurrencies that utilize proof of stake, which uses individuals to verify versus these complex math equations. So through minting versus mining, you can actually create new cryptocurrency into circulation and do that much more sustainably. It just does not require the computer powers. What's the difference between minting and mining? I've heard those words used as if they were synonyms. Yeah, so mining is the act of creating a new block on the chain. So bringing in like a new Bitcoin, for example, and that's done through the use of solving complex math equations. That's basically how the network verifies it's a true transaction. That's mining. Minting is rather than using these complex math equations, you're using individual identity to individual verification and people to actually process these blocks. So you don't have to solve these complex equations. So you don't need to run these complex, high-powered computers. So what are the most ecologically efficient, ethical, sustainable cryptocurrencies? Our favorite is Algorand. It's a really fantastic carbon negative cryptocurrency. We have more information about it on our Instagram. But that, for example, is a proof of stake cryptocurrency. It then uses individual verification and doesn't require those high power computers. Also, they have a partnership with a natural resource nonprofit. So for any energy they do use, they contribute back, which is great. Also, Cambridge University has a Bitcoin consumption index team, and they actually measure what type of energy people are using to power these proof of work cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum. And they found that actually 70% of miners are now using some form of renewable energy. So there are definitely things you can do even with proof of work cryptocurrencies like solar power or wind power to mine more efficiently and more sustainably. That's some good news, I guess. The Algorand that you just mentioned, and I guess I have this question about a lot of different cryptocurrencies. What can you use it for? So each cryptocurrency has a different utility. Some have smart contract functionality. What does that mean? 
that means you have the ability to do DeFi on it. So for example, you can create automated contracts and let you act as a bank. Borrowing and lending with liquidity pools. It means you can stake that cryptocurrency. It also means you can build decentralized applications, dApps on a blockchain. So it's really exciting. A lot of them, the power lies in the network and which you can build on that and how efficiently you can do so. So what kind of things are you building on the Elgorand network? So Elgorand, they have a lot of video game systems and they also can power NFTs. One cryptocurrency I love and has great utility and is also fairly sustainable is a proof of authority coin called VeChain. VeChain essentially works to increase supply chain efficiency. So they're working right now with like Louis Vuitton to speed up the Givenchy supply chain where you can actually as a a buyer, for example, of a purse, you can scan a QR code and you can see the journey the whole bag took, where the leather's from, where it was stitched together. You know, if you buy oysters that are tracked using VeChain's technology, you can see if they were stored at the right temperature throughout their journey. So there's a lot of different exciting applications cryptocurrency can be used for. Amazing. I got to say, I think my head may pop off during this conversation because there's so many layers of things that I truly do not understand. And so if you're listening to this with me, I just want you to know that I'm right along with you, but I'm there. I'm here to learn. So I'm going to try to stick with it. But while we do that, let me just remind everyone that our partner Edelman Financial Engines can tailor investment solutions for the wealth that you're building and growing and protecting. And Their investment management approach is based on Nobel Prize winning research. Their planners don't sell products to earn commissions, period. So no matter where you're going next, see how they can help you get there. I'm talking with Shireen Bucknam, co-founder of the Crypto Witch Club, an inclusive space for women to learn about everything related to blockchain and Web3. Okay, Shireen, we are continuing with our listener questions on crypto. How do you begin navigating this space when you're just dipping your toes into the water of investing in cryptocurrency? You know, if that listener hadn't asked this question, I would have asked it myself. I think there's so much to learn. It's such a broad landscape and growing every day. So even though I've been in it over five years, I'm literally learning something new every single day too. So we're definitely all in the learning together. But when you're just getting started, I think the most important thing to realize is how the blockchain and cryptocurrency work together. So the way I like to describe it is a blockchain, essentially, it kind of acts as train tracks and it provides this infrastructure and the security. And then cryptocurrencies and NFTs are kind of the trains that run on those tracks. So the blockchain provides the infrastructure and security and the transparency for these cryptocurrencies and these digital assets to run without essentially question or counterfeit. So I think that's kind of, it breaks down how the actual technology works with a cryptocurrency or asset. Different coins and tokens run on different blockchains as well. Secondly, I think really easy way to look at it is kind of look at it similar to the stock market. So, you know, each project is going to have a different utility and a mission and purpose and team, and you're going to base your investments on that. So it's really important when you first sign up for an exchange. We love Gemini and Coinbase for beginners. They have really easy user interface. 
But when you sign up for exchange, just start looking at the top projects and researching them and see if they align with you, whether that's in terms of how sustainable they are or if are they solving a problem or is there a need for what they're doing? That's how you're going to find the projects you're going to want to invest in. When you talk about a project, what is a project in this context? So, for example, you could call Bitcoin a project or Ethereum a project. So it would be a cryptocurrency coin or token. All right. How do you find a good coin or currency or project? I mean, what do you look for? One of my favorite resources is called CoinMarketCap. And CoinMarketCap, essentially, it's a one-stop resource where you can look at the white papers for a project. And that's where the team lies out the goals and where their plans are and what their technology can do. You can look at the market cap circulation supply. It'll take you to the official website and you can see the price history there as well. I really like to look at coins in the top 10 to 20 if you're just starting out. There's going to be the coins with really the most investment behind them and tend to be the most popular because they have a utility and they're actually being used. Where do we find that resource? It's called CoinMarketCap. So you can go to CoinMarketCap.com. And that's great for just the stats and the facts. When we're talking about women, I know there's been a lot written about how this is not a world where women are highly represented. What's the best way for women to get involved in Web3 and blockchain if they're interested in working in the field? I think put yourself out there in social media. Web3 is very, very community-driven. And I would say the women in Web3 are so supportive and so welcoming of other women coming in. Twitter Spaces is a great opportunity to find NFT projects and DAOs for women. And then spaces where you can actually talk and get advice from women who are already doing it. If you're looking to get in the space, I would also say just be honest about what you don't know. Nobody knows everything. And just be curious. I think newcomers have a lot to bring to the space because They can really break down these concepts in more understandable ways than somebody who's been in the industry for years. You know, while we're talking about women in this field, there was a lot of news the past few weeks about the failure of the Lonely Ape Dating Club, which was a dating app that was actually unable to launch due to the overwhelming outnumbering of males to females who wanted to join the platform. I mean, the founders just pulled the plug on it entirely. And of course, it became a meme about crypto bro culture. So I guess I wanted to ask, I mean, do you think there's hope for women? Absolutely. And I think part of that is we just have to claim it and kind of take our own space in the field. I've been in the space since 2017. I can tell you there are so many great clubs and spaces for women now versus when I first started. We have Crypto Witch Club, yes, but we also have Boys Club, which is a quote unquote no bro zone. And that's a group of women doing events in New York City every month. And then there's BFF, which is a group of a lot of female celebrity founders. It's also a space for women to learn. So I think it's definitely going in the right path. And, you know, I just want to see more of it. The more women that are in the space and the more marginalized voices in the space, the more we can make the space look like something we want it to look like. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's true of every space, by the way, where women have felt unwelcome at the start. So I want to take us back and try to ask the question that I posed at the beginning of the show again. Is there a way to know if you're buying the next 
Bitcoin at a low and you stand to make a lot of money or if you've just put your money into the next Luna. I mean, how do you know? How do you go about vetting these investments? And how do you do the same sort of research that you might do if you were trying to buy Target, which has just gone through a big drop or JP Morgan Chase or any number of stocks? Yeah. I mean, I would say the things to look at are the same things, just like you said, like you can't guarantee you're going to pick the next Bitcoin or you're you're going to pick the next bull runner, but you can do a lot of research and due diligence to make sure you are putting your money in the safest possible choices. So I like to say, look for the technology. And that goes back to the utility of a project. Is it actually solving something? Is it actually being used? Is there a demand for it? Look at the team. One of my favorite cryptocurrencies I own is Basic Attention Token. The founder of Mozilla in the 90s is the founder of Basic Attention Token. I have strong faith in that team and what they're doing, because I know this is one of the early founders of the internet, and it's an internet token. So, you know, you definitely want to look at the team and see if they're reputable and credible, and if they're showing leadership, same as you would with a stock. And then three, I really think you have to look at public sentiment and partnerships. So when I'm looking for a cryptocurrency project, I'm seeing, oh, are they partnering with BMW? Are they solving supply chain issues? Who are they working with? Like who's using them? Or is it just all kind of promises and hype and plans? Because where we are in this technology, it's still really speculative. There are some projects with amazing utility and seemed like such a good pick, like Terra Luna, but then we saw it get stress test and we saw that fail. So I think that was a learning experience for a lot of people. And, you know, there were definitely other stablecoin competitors and cheered when they were knocked out. But I would really compare it to the internet. You don't, you want to pick one of those winners, you know, but you're going to invest in, let's say, AOL, Ask Jeeves, Google, and Amazon, and two of those will come through for you and the other two might not. Boy, boy, oh boy, oh boy. Shireen, this has definitely been educational. Thank you so much for doing this with us. Thank you for your patience with me as I've asked one repetitive question after another, but I think I have a little bit of a better understanding. And your last explanation of really how to vet these investments, that made total sense to me. Shireen Bucknam is the co-founder of Crypto Witch Club. Where do we find you? You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Crypto Witch Club and online at CryptoWitchClub.io. Fantastic. Thank you so much for this. Thank you. Let me just take a moment to remind everyone that Her Money is supported by BCU. BCU is a credit union that understands that financial freedom doesn't just happen at a single point, but rather at many different stages of your life. That's why BCU is here today for your tomorrow, with support available at every stage of your financial journey. And you can learn more about eligibility at www.bcu.org. And her money's Catherine Tuggle joins me now. I don't know, Catherine. I don't know. My head might explode. You know, I had the thought, like, if we have so much trouble, you know, getting to the heart of something and explaining something, it's it's your point, right? Do you want to invest in something that you don't understand? And Shireen is, you know, one of the leading experts in this. So it's so hard for even the people who are in it, to be able to make it clear in layman's terms what's happening. 
Right. And I think we should tell people. So we went down a rabbit hole in this podcast and we cut a bunch of it. We had a whole discussion about a coin called Luna or Terra Luna that just imploded. It was supposed to be a stable coin, which means it's not supposed to implode. It went from $120 in value to zero. And basically, we asked Shireen why. And she said that she and her co-founder had spent so much time trying to figure out how to explain it in a way that people who really weren't familiar with blockchain could understand it. And she tried and she tried her best and I went around and around and around with her and we cut it because I didn't understand it. And if I didn't understand it, I'm certainly not going to put it on podcast and force you to listen to it, right? I mean, it's just ridiculous, but it did have me doubting whether I want to be in this market. And I've been doing what Bill Ullman, our guest on our Crypto 101 podcast, suggested. I've been investing a little bit of money every single month in Bitcoin and Ethereum and Litecoin. I don't know. I don't know. Am I better off just taking that money and putting it into my stock portfolio? I think if that's the option, putting it into your stock portfolio, then the answer is definitely like, yes, right? I guess, I guess. But if this is the future, then the answer may not be yes. And I was very intrigued by what Shireen said about how companies from BMW to Louis Vuitton are using crypto and blockchain mm-hmm. technology, right? I mean, you know, we think about what uses does it have in our world today? And maybe it's just not the use that we typically think of of money. Maybe it's not buying things, but it has value in other ways. And if what I'm doing is investing in, you know, the rails... I'm intrigued by that. And it's not a lot of money, by the way. I'm dabbling to see how I feel, which is what Bill Ullman suggested that I do and that we all do. And today, I'm just not sure how I'm feeling. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about our episode with Kelly Grayler, CEO of Alice Riot um, for NFTs. And she spoke about her favorite artist, who's one of my favorite artists, Ashley Longshore, who is doing NFTs alongside like physical pieces of art. And we know NFTs mm-hmm. are our blockchain technology. And then we also heard about the, uh, what do you call it? It's the avatar suits, the fake, like you dress your avatar in a virtual world. Oh yeah. Like the Bored Apes Yacht Club and that whole thing, right? Or Web3, where in this alternate universe, you have an avatar and you buy money to, you know, it sounds a lot like Pokemon. Well, I this was say, my thinking right? I mean, it does. during this show is the implications for all the fun stuff for the Ashley Longshore giveaways and for the avatars in a game. Like it almost makes me wonder if this space is going to be more for fun than for banking. I don't know. I don't know. 
And that's not to say that would make it a bad investment if it becomes this fun space of the technology that, you know, Louis Vuitton's doing things and Nike's doing things and, you know, your favorite artist is doing things. That makes it valuable. But it made me wonder, like, is this going to be a technology that is fueling world currencies or am I going to buy fake tennis shoes and a game with this technology? Fake tennis shoes for your avatar to wear. I got to tell you, I am never going to buy fake tennis shoes for my avatar to wear, right? I don't think that I'm going to be one of those people who has an avatar in another world where I care about what that avatar looks like, what that avatar wears. But talk to me in five years. I could be totally wrong. I will do that. Would you like to take some questions about the real world? Okay. (laughs) Our first question today comes to us from Amanda. She writes, Dear Jean and Catherine, I'm a longtime listener to the podcast, and I greatly appreciate all you do to destigmatize talking about money. I'm 41 years old, divorced and child-free with no siblings. I've saved aggressively for an early retirement and currently have about 800000 between my 403B, Roth IRA, and taxable investments. I plan to retire from my teaching career in the next five to 10 years, at which point I may pursue a second career. Between my investments, a state pension, and an expected inheritance, I feel well prepared for my golden years. While most of my financial ducks are in a row, I haven't set up a will. Having been urged by my financial advisor, not to mention you, to take care of this, I intend to do so within the next year. I have a few friends and nonprofits in mind that I'd like to support. I've done some preliminary online research regarding wills and estate planning, and I'm hung up on the matter of an executor. The sites I've consulted suggest that naming an executor is a necessary step in the process. I can't think of who I would appoint for this job, though. Other members of my family have appointed attorneys to handle this task, but I don't have an attorney I trust, and I'm unsure how to go about choosing one. As an aside, I asked my parents for advice and learned that they've not named an executor. They're under the impression that since they plan to pass everything on to me, no executor is needed for an uncomplicated estate plan. Are my parents correct? When is an executor truly necessary? Many thanks for all you do to empower women. This is such an important question. So I'm really glad you asked it. I don't think that we have actually dealt with what happens if you don't have an executor before. And, you know, essentially they would simplify matters. Your parents would simplify matters if they did name an executor, but chances are they're exactly right. If you don't name an executor, then the laws of your state have a hierarchy of who they will likely authorize to administer the estate. And generally, that's what it's called. It's, it won't be an executor. It'll be an administrator who will do the same thing that an executor does. And they will name the person who is likely entitled to the bulk of the estate. So they will name you, right? Your parents are kind of right about this, but by just naming you, they could make your life a whole lot easier. So I would encourage them to do that because then you don't have to go through, you know, yet another hoop with the court when they die. And so I would go in that direction. As far as you, 
I think a professional administrator is the way to go. A professional executor is the way to go. That person will get paid out of the estate for doing the job of the executor. And if you don't have an attorney that you like, I would take the time now to shop for an attorney. Go about the process of shopping for an estate planning attorney who is a little younger than you, who you believe will, you know, be around and fit to do the job when you should pass away and who doesn't work solo. I'd go with somebody who is a a practitioner with a firm where there are other people to step in if they should be unwilling or unable to serve at that time and go from there. You know, I mean, we want to make sure that all of this work that we've done, all of these beneficiaries, your charities and your friends that you'd like to support are up for it. And I would think again about those friends, right? If you have friends who are close enough to you that you are going to leave them money in your will, then maybe you're close enough to them to ask them to serve as your executor as well. It's not a choice to be taken lightly. I'm watching my mother go through this process following the death of my stepfather. She's the executor. It's a lot of work, but it's just a consideration for somebody who you feel strongly enough that you are going to help support them after you pass away. I got to say, I love that you're thinking about all of this because I know that many, many people, single, married, parents, non-parents, don't. So kudos to you on that. And thanks for writing. Yeah, absolutely. And I just wanted to say the right attorney will really care and do an amazing job. I bought my apartment in New York from a woman's estate. She had passed away and her attorney was her executor. And... The money that I paid for the apartment was going to be divided among 12 different animal charities that she had selected before she died. And he handled everything with such care and was just so lovely to work with and really, truly cared about Leah. That's whose apartment we bought. And it was such a lovely experience. The right attorney will truly take care of you and honor your wishes. It's just a matter of finding that person. That's such a nice story, and thank you for sharing. Sure. Our next question comes to us today from Kate in Kentucky. She writes, Hello, Jean. I appreciate your podcast very much, and so thank you for the public service you provide. I have a few questions about SEP IRAs, vehicles I only know about because you alerted me to them, so thank you. Here are my goals. I'm saving to buy a house. I also have student loans, but I'm enrolled in the PSLF with an income-based repayment plan. Just pause there one sec, Catherine, so we can define it for people who don't know. It's PSLF Public Service Loan Forgiveness is the 10-year program where if you work in a helping profession and you have federal student loans, you can stop the clock after 10 years of on-time repayment. And by the way, the pandemic where federal loan payments have been paused counts towards your 10 years for anybody who's wondering. Amazing. She continues... I have about four years worth of payments to go before I can be granted the public service loan forgiveness. And so another goal of mine is to lower the amount of income I make so I can keep my income-based repayment lower rather than higher. Other info, I have a full-time job and an employer-sponsored pension, and I max out my own Roth IRA every year. 
I also have a high yield savings account, which is the primary vehicle I use for stashing away my savings for this house. Now, the SEP IRA. I also have side hustles, so for tax purposes, I have to declare that income, do my own withholding, and file my self-employment taxes because no one is doing it for me. This makes me think that I qualify to open and fund a SEP IRA in addition to all these other retirement accounts. Note, I estimate that my self-employment income will be around $15,000 this year. Questions. So, could I use the SEP IRA to 1. Stash as much of that self-employment income as I can. 2. Therefore, reduce the income number used to calculate my income based repayment. 3. And then after I receive public loan forgiveness, withdraw the SEP IRA funds for a house down payment. I'd have to pay deferred taxes, but no 10% tax penalty, I don't think. What do you think of this tax avoidance slash deferment plan? Did I miss some crucial detail and or misunderstand the assumptions behind the SEP IRA? Thank you so much for helping me think this through. So Kate, I love how strategic you are trying to be here. Let's talk about that SEP IRA for a second. So if we're talking about a SEP IRA, the reason that I like it so much is that it allows you, if you're able, to actually sock away a lot more money than you can in a traditional IRA. In a SEP IRA, you can put up to 24 of your self-employment compensation. So in your case, it would be 25%, a quarter of that $15,000. And it would reduce your taxable income. But when you withdraw the money, you would have to pay deferred taxes and the 10% penalty. A SEP IRA works just like a traditional IRA. And so I don't know that it's worth jumping through all of these hoops, quite frankly. I wonder if you're better off just recalculating your income-based repayment plan, which you have to do every single year anyway, and paying a little bit more toward those loans, trying to retire a little bit more of that student debt rather than avoid it. It would give you the ability to then just put that additional self-employment income, whatever's not going toward public service loan forgiveness or taxes, into the savings account for your house. Why don't you run the numbers that way? And if you need another look-see once you've done it, then please let us know and write us again. And this may also be a place where paying for an hour or two of an accountant's time is worth your while. I know you said nobody's helping you work on your taxes. You're doing it yourself, and that's totally admirable. But sometimes having a tax preparer or an enrolled agent or an accountant look things over can be really, really helpful. But I'm glad to see that you're heading in the right direction and that you're thinking of buying a house. And I hope that both home prices and mortgage prices come down just a little bit before you get there. Yes. And I love the strategy that you're putting into this. Thank you so much. Yeah. You know, sometimes we strategize so much to avoid paying taxes that we end up sort of kicking ourselves in the other foot. So I'm just trying to make sure that that's not happening here. And the numbers are the things that are going to tell us. Yeah. Great advice, Jean. Thanks a lot. Thank you. 
And in today's Thrive, what to do in times of market volatility, because in case you haven't noticed, we are living it right now. Lately, there has been no predicting whether markets will be up or down several percentage points in a given day, which has made even the calmest investors worry. But here's the only true answer. Nobody knows when this will be over. But market history is reassuring. So far, big drops have always been temporary. The briefest bear market, which is defined as the market being down for at least 20% from a previous high, was in 2020. It lasted just 33 days. Save for that brief period, the markets had been in an 11-year bull market, just like we hope we'll find when we invest. Sadly, the market is now behaving well like markets do. When things are calm, we tend to think they'll always be calm, but that's just not the case. So what do you do now? Well, for starters, if you have a balance of stocks, bonds, and cash that you're comfortable with, stop looking at the market every day. Stop looking at your balances. Yes, this is easier said than done for active investors, but just give it a try for a few days. I promise you will feel better. If your investments need rebalancing, consider doing it and try to keep your investments within six percentage points of your goal. For example, if you intend to have a 60-40 balance of stocks and bonds and stock market losses leave you with less than 54% in stocks, it may be time to rebalance. But note, this advice doesn't apply if you're in target date retirement funds. If your portfolio, or at least more of it, is invested in a 401k or 403b through your job and you're in a target date fund, it's adjusting for you. You don't have to do anything. If you plan to retire soon, it's also a good idea to keep at least a year and maybe two in cash so that you don't have to withdraw money from a shrinking nest egg. Lastly, take solace in the advice that high inflation coupled with a worrisome stock market is not likely to stick around forever. We're still feeling the impact of the pandemic and the resulting stimulus program, and war-related supply chain shortages are making matters worse. But hopefully soon we'll be back to more familiar territory, and those of us who are able to calm our nerves and stay the course will be better for it. Thank you so much for joining me today on Her Money. Thanks to Shireen Bucknam for diving into our crypto discussion and answering so many of our questions. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. We love hearing what you think. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Edelman Financial Engines and BCU. We produce this podcast out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Video Helper and our show comes to you through Megaphone. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll talk soon.